When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and later on in the episode, we're going to have a long discussion with myself and Sam Ekstrom about where the Vikings are now and the funny playoff odds that I ran across. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, tonight, some news coming out regarding Delvin Cook from the Star Tribune. First, it started with uh, Adam Schefter tweet that was cryptic and maybe suggested there that there was more to come from Delvin Cook that he uh, the tweet read from his agent that Delvin Cook had been the victim of domestic violence and extortion and that was really all the tweet said and then more information started to come out and then the Star Tribune later on in the evening reported on a lawsuit that has been filed against Delvin Cook by a former girlfriend And I won't go through all the details with you, but essentially the former girlfriend claims that she went to Delvin Cook's house in Invergrove Heights to try and retrieve some of her things and they were going to split and and part ways and that Delvin Cook in that process uh, physically assaulted her, causing multiple injuries, including a concussion and leaving a scar on her face. Now from Delvin Cook's side, his agent, his lawyer claims that she more or less broke into his house and threatened him and assaulted him rather than it being the other way around. So we have Delvin Cook's side and his former girlfriend's side, both making accusations of an altercation. And that's where we stand as of right now. It's a lawsuit. This is not um, where you have police reports that there were no police reports filed. This is not an arrest but this is a lawsuit that is being filed by a former girlfriend. So now we are in the awkward position of talking about what this means to Delvin cook and his future with the Minnesota Vikings. Now that this has come to light, this lawsuit filed by his former girlfriend and how the Vikings will handle this of which we have no indication yet. And we will find out, I guess in the coming days, what they have to say about the accusations against Delvin Cook here uh, that they are in the position of having all of this information public and all of the details public after the Star Tribune's reporting. And now they have to decide whether they will put him on the uh, commissioner's list, uh, Adrian Peterson-like situation there. Earlier this year, if you recall, Um, Jeff Gladney was released by the team, but they waited until Gladney was indicted to officially release him. Now, there is not going to be a situation like that here unless criminal charges come up that there won't be an indictment. There won't be a jury and a trial um, in the same way 
uh, there isn't jail time to be served if it just remains a lawsuit and there are no criminal charges. However, uh, if you're talking about the court of public opinion and the look of this and the details of this, which are, if you're going to read it, you should know that they're pretty disturbing of what um, Dalvin Cook's former girlfriend is accusing him of. So how the Vikings will handle this and what this means to his future, I don't know. Uh, there are other situations like this, including Deshaun Watson, where it's lawsuits and it's not necessarily jail time. Uh, Antonio Brown also comes to mind, though some of his issues uh, did have a little more of a, um, you know, that element to it. Uh, but it was largely based on what people had accused Antonio Brown of, and he was suspended by the NFL and then still went on to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, as far as Deshaun Watson goes, the Houston Texans have just waited and uh, they've taken phone calls about trading him, but they have not made a move for Deshaun Watson. So the Vikings could have the option of saying this is a personal issue for Dalvin Cook in this lawsuit and he's going to keep playing. Or they could say this is the second player on our team that has had some accusations against them in terms of uh, domestic violence that we're not going to tolerate it and they could uh, suspend him or put him on the, it, we'll see if the NFL puts him on the NFL's commissioner list, that would be a different decision, but they could suspend him for the rest of the year while this gets sorted out. Um, but for now, that's what the Vikings are dealing with. And this is another hit to this team that they've already had to deal with serious injuries to star players close losses in a lot of games, Harrison Smith being on the COVID list last week. And now talk about distractions. This is going to be one of the A1 stories in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers talking again yesterday is going to get pushed to the back burner with the accusations now made against Delvin Cook. So we will continue to track this and see what happens. It is worth noting that Delvin Cook also went to trial for an issue of uh, violence against a woman when he was in college. And that was one of the main reasons cited for why Delvin cook was not a first round draft pick. It was a main concern. And on draft night, this is just background worth noting. I'm not taking sides or making an accusation here against Delvin cook, but just worth noting that Rick Spielman said he was not concerned about more issues with cook relating to violence and women uh, because he talked to Delvin Cook on the phone before the draft and Cook assured him that it would not be an issue again. And now here we are with some very, very concerning and disturbing details in this lawsuit. So again, we'll continue to track it. We'll talk about any updates that come. We will hear from the Vikings. Uh, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, we'll hear from the Vikings on Wednesday in the middle of the day, and we'll see if they have anything to say further about this issue with Delvin Cook, and we'll keep you up to date. All right, now on to our conversation about the Vikings and the word playoffs coming up. It, it got interesting, so here you go. I had a thought today. I was fiddling around with the internet, boop, 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 and I clicked on 538, the analytics website, and they have playoff odds there. Mm -hmm. And I was curious, well, okay, well, what does it say about the Vikings? Must be like zero, right? It must be nothing, no chance to make the playoffs. And I clicked on it and I saw that it was 27% chance, almost a one in three shot 
uh, maybe a little closer to one and four for the Vikings to make the playoffs. And I thought that is really something that you could be three and five in the NFC and still not have this thing be essentially over. The funny part about it is there's AFC teams that are five and four that have about the same odds because the AFC is just better. So I thought, well, we've been spending a lot of the early week here discussing what went wrong, who's to blame, pointing a lot of fingers. But I think that it's still worth discussing the route that it would take the path and the implications of this team getting back into the playoff race. So let me start here. If I were to fast forward five weeks from now and told you that the Vikings playoff odds were much closer to 50-50, what would have had to have happened in order for the Vikings to, in the coming weeks, get themselves into much more of a coin flips chance at making the playoffs? Well, let me pose this to you. Do you trust the Trevor Simeon led Saints? Do <laughs> you trust do, do you trust the Cordero Patterson led Atlanta Falcons? No. Um there there are not a lot of challengers that I think are going to surge away with this thing. The Panthers are a mess. They are technically in front of the Vikings. And the Vikings have the tiebreaker there. Um the Falcons are led by an adequate quarterback. So that helps their cause. I would actually prefer their, you know, their status to the Saints right now, even though we're talking about Sean Payton. Maybe Taysom Hill gets a look if Simeon struggles. Um, either way, they are not, you know, unbeatable. But we don't, we're not even talking about beating the Saints here. We just need, you know, in your scenario, the Vikings would need to be the seventh seed to be on the fringe of the playoffs. And they are. I mean, they can go into the second half of the season saying they're a game back, which gives them a spin to say that every game still has a lot on the line. Can't really talk yourself into in this season in the NFL to say that, oh, yeah, you know, like the Atlanta Braves made a run. We can make a run. It's not baseball. Um, the, the lower seeds almost always lose, especially in the last couple of decades, except for Eli Manning. It's hard to do. But I think organizationally, that's the last carrot dangling in front of this team. And five weeks from now, you know, I think you're probably walking away saying that you beat the Chargers. Mm -hmm. You went to L.A. and won. You may have beaten the Packers, but more than likely, you know, you took care of the Lions the following week. You'll have to help me out. Who's after that? Is it the 49ers? Yeah, 49ers after that? Yep. yep. And I don't trust them either. I mean, San Francisco's getting subpar i mean the the garoppolo era is soon to come to an end in san francisco they're kind of in between quarterbacks right now trying to figure out like who to play on a given week right so san francisco is very attainable i don't think any of these are write-in games for the vikings where they can just show up and expect the victory but if in the five game stretch if you go three and two and you're six and seven well, I would expect you to probably still be a game back, if not tied. And that puts you on the doorstep um, with a game against Chicago winnable and um, the Steelers winnable. Like neither of those teams really struck me last night as out of this world. So you do have winnable games and they're all winnable for this team because this team can play with anybody and beat nobody. But um, 
Yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this team like stays in it just long enough. Now, if you lose the next two, Collar, I th- I'm guessing that will sink your odds, right? If you keep dipping below 500, wouldn't you say? Because uh, I think three and seven is almost impossible to climb out of. Yeah, so I, I didn't give you the kicker on this with the statistics that the Vikings may have a 27% chance of making the playoffs but they have a 0.4% chance of winning the Super Bowl, according to 538. And their most likely record, because this is a nice little chart that shows every team's mm-hmm. most likely record based on the remaining schedule and the strength of their team and everything else, the most likely record is 7-10. and 10. And so, the I mean, this is just the weirdest place to be in where when you look at the NFC race and you look at how the Vikings have played in terms of being in these close games all the time. And you say, well, I could very reasonably see some of that variance flipping back the other direction and them beating the Chargers, who are not a perfect football team, uh, beating the Packers, who are going to be, I mean, mostly against Seattle, a very distracted football team. But, you know, it's not like the distraction with Aaron Rodgers only asked the last one week. like they, And it's also the, the Packers. Like, they, they beat the Packers sometimes when they're not as good as Green Bay, which is historically been the case a lot uh but they'll be still beat them uh sometimes and so you maybe put like a 45 percent chance they beat them maybe like a 40 percent chance they beat the chargers both of those things clicking is not insane and then you're right back playing the 500 game uh but even then you can't trust them to beat the 49ers i mean maybe the lions but it took a 54 yard field goal the last time so i'm not going to guarantee it and the same thing with Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, where they have a great defensive line, which is usually the kryptonite for the Vikings. Um, The schedule does open itself up after these next couple of weeks to get back in that playoff race. But let's say the exact scenario that 538 laid out is what happens. Now, I don't know about the order, and that could change things in terms of the order, because if you lose the next two, like you said, like your playoff chances are pretty much nil at that point, and you're talking about potentially making a coaching change. But let's just say even if they split the next two, you remain in that playoff race and you finish seven and 10, make the playoffs and get destroyed in the first round or lose on the last day. I don't even know if there's a difference between those two things. Like, does that guarantee that this thing is totally over and that everybody is being changed out next year? Oh, it has to, right? Seven and 10 and an accidental playoff berth, that has to mean change. Um, I think we were we were kind of on the fence about, like, would 10 and 7 mean continuity? And I think we agreed it probably would. Um, but if you get, I mean, 9 and 8 was a maybe. 8 and 9, probably not. 7 and 10, there's, there's no way, right? I mean, the odds of that in, like, ensuring continuity are probably about the same odds as the Vikings playoffs right now, about 1 and 4. Um, you know, they would have to, I think, have a bunch more injuries and then be really plucky down the stretch um, and win a must-win game and do it with, you know, shorthanded where the coach clearly won them a game. Um, Kirk Cousins would have to snap out of this funk. But, I mean, I, do you think there's a scenario? Let me kind of just put a qualifier here. Because of the contract situation, could you see Kirk Cousins playing next year as a lame duck quarterback with a different coach. I could. 
Yes, I could. I I think that that's actually the more likely of the three um, of Spielman, Zimmer and Kirk Cousins that would actually be here for next year. If they did go seven and ten, that they might say, well, you know, Kirk Cousins has been somewhat victimized by his head coach and his offensive coordinator and how they've built the offensive line. And that would not be false. It's just that I sometimes challenge the percentage of difference that makes, but that would not be false. I mean, I think that's very true. The offensive line has been constructed poorly. The um, coaching has not maximized Kirk Cousins, though very few people's coaching ever has. I mean, there's some, there's some people that no matter what happens, will always say, ah, well, they didn't do everything perfect, so you didn't get the best version of Cousins. But I think we even see, and this, I, sorry to go a different route here with this, but we even see, like in Buffalo where Josh Allen's not playing as well as he was and Patrick Mahomes, that circumstance, um, even the great quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, uh, we saw Brett Favre in his career, John Elway, all the greats, Matt Ryan have had down years from time to time, um, but usually bounce back when their team is at least even competent. But there are other quarterbacks that need absolutely everything. Case Keenum would be this way need absolutely everything going right for them in order to be better. But there's always that part of it that you say, like you said, the, the contract, what if we give it one more year? What if we give it one more shot with a different coach just to find out? And the, the draft might play into it that there's no sort of quote, sure thing in the draft. That's not as good as, as last year. So I think that that is altogether possible that if they did go seven and 10 and what, what often happens with cousins is as soon as the season ends, it's like three weeks later, it's like everyone sort of forgets how it went, right? It's, well, you know, in those last five games, and we've heard this from Spielman, the second half of the season, man, that's when he really turned it on or something. It's like, here we are again with another downturn where he's averaging 6.6 yards per attempt over the last five games. That is a long stretch to to be totally ineffective. Um, So anyway, put that point aside. I think that that is possible. But seven and 10 probably gets a trade in the offseason. I think that we're looking at a Detroit Lions, Matt Patricia, Matt Stafford sort of, all right, we ran this thing all the way to the end. And now we're going to go a different direction. Even if they did make the playoffs, unless they somehow went deep into the playoffs with two playoff wins as a seven and 10 team. But even that, I mean, that just seems so not plausible after the way that they've played close with Lions, close with Carolina, chances to win against Dallas with a backup and uh, the Ravens who played very poorly in the beginning of that game. It just seems like uh, they can't win these games against far inferior opponents. They're going to do it against the the best teams in the NFC playing playoff football. Um, no, I, I don't think that's going to happen. But I also think, just to add on, that mm-hmm. seven and 10 and barely missing the playoffs seems like the most likely scenario that they do hang around in that playoff race just long enough not to make any serious changes with the coach for now. Man, that is um, a terrifying possibility, I think, for a lot of fans. Wouldn't you agree? Like, who out of 10 fans, how many are rooting for it to stay the same? Uh, Half half a fan? I was going to say, I don't know if there's one. Like, someone's, you know, eight-year-old has a cousin's jersey. They want it to stay the same. Um I think there are varying degrees though, right? Like there's, there are probably some people still that would say, look, I mean, Zimmer's a good coach and his defense is good, but this is what you saddled him with offensively. And then there are other people who say, well, cousins can be better, but this is what you saddled him with 
coaching wise. And so I think that there are like, there are tentacles of defenders, but Hey, this should stay exactly the same all the way to the end and beyond. Yeah. Probably not too many people. Yeah. Would you rather have Zimmer with a new quarterback next year or cousins with a new coach? Zimmer with a new quarterback. That's how I look at it. Uh, I, I That's not going to be a popular one though. I, I'll explain. You give your answer. And I'll explain mine. Um, I'd rather have cousins with a new coach. If I'm a, if I'm a fan, that's what I want because that means that that coach, I assume, is someone that will have a better relationship with the quarterback just day in and day out, supporting them more, watching film with them, like for the first time before year five, um, on the team, or I'm sorry, year four, and beyond cousins will still exist and still support the next quarterback. Like I, I think that getting that person here sooner is better. I don't, I don't know if it means the team is better. As you pointed out, the greatest offensive minds in NFL coaching circles have not been able to extract deep playoff runs from Kirk cousins. So I don't think that's going to happen, but I think I would still rather see that in place than have Zimmer you know, and Zimmer's had his hands on plenty of quarterbacks also, and it's kind of all the same. He is very good at instilling a risk averse quality about them where they put up sometimes career numbers, even if it's a lot of window dressing. And, you know, like Sam Bradford, the team goes eight and eight, but he has good stats. Um, I, I would rather have maybe a different offensive philosophy just to to roll the dice with cousins and beyond that have something in place for Mond or quarterback du jour. Folks, football season is in full swing, but we've got basketball and hockey getting rolling as well. And Soda Stick has got you covered. You have to see the Moose t-shirt designs for Marcus Felino. You can also get your hands on the very popular Dollar Bill Kirill shirts as well. On the basketball side, the design with three wolves howling at the moon, perfect for the spooky fall season. And the design with the wolf carved into the state of the Minnesota is just awesome. It's very cool stuff. And hey, for you college football fans, Check out the Tanner Morgan t-shirts as well. Soda Stick has tons of hats and hoodies with all their great designs on them. You will love it. Go to SodaStick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K. Check that out today. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And also follow myself and Soda Stick on Twitter for our giveaways. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, I think that you know, part of my answer would be, well, we've also got to talk about is it short term, is it long term? Because part of the there's like a little trick built into saying cousins, which is he's only got one more year on the deal. And so if you were saying extend cousins with a new coach, I think that's a different one than he's a lame duck quarterback one year. You try him with whoever the next McVeigh that you hire is. And then if that doesn't work, then you can draft someone or you could draft someone this year, develop them behind cousins for a year, be ready to turn it over to them. Like it gives you 
flexibility, but also a competent quarterback and that one chance to sort of find out if the next head coach can do it. The thing for me, though, is if we're talking about could you win next year and be back into the playoffs and competitive, um, the, the sample size for both of these guys is huge. One of them has wins in the past. One of them has a, a several really good seasons in the past. The other does not. Mike Zimmer in 2015 won the division, went 11 and five with Teddy Bridgewater as his quarterback. In 2017, had the number one defense uh, and went deep into the playoffs. And I know you know took a Minneapolis miracle, but ends up in the NFC championship, right? And they're winning most of that game. It just got really crazy. But the point is just that had a 13 and three season, an 11 and five season, and an eight and eight season with Sam Bradford in which uh, they lost their starting quarterback right before the season. Um, and, and so like, even you look at the past before cousins got here, it was Teddy is a second year quarterback and they're putting the handcuffs on him. pretty bad offensive setup and they get to 11 wins the next year, all hell breaks loose. They're still in the playoffs basically going into the second to last week. And then you get to the 2017 season in which his defense is phenomenal and Case Keenum comes out of nowhere, but they had the right offensive setup for that and they end up winning. Like his record before Kirk is better than with Kirk, whereas Cousins' record with the Vikings is exactly the same as it was with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And you can go, well, Washington didn't do this or they didn't do that, but they had Sean McVay. I don't think Jay Gruden's a bad coach. Um, you know, they, they had people who were really in his corner that were good. Uh, and again, with Stefanski and Gary Kubiak, I mean, you've got really good proven people here. So it's hard for me to believe, well, if you just hire Brian Dable or whoever the sexy offensive coordinator of the week is, uh, for the next year, well, I, I don't really know how that changes anything. I think that with the head coach though, it, there's just a little of, we're tired of the same sort of thing from fans where it's like, Oh, uh, mismanaged a clock or, Oh, his offensive coordinator ran on second down or, Oh, it's a press conference and he's taking another jab at somebody. And I think that, and also maybe some people holding out hope that it actually is Mike's fault and not like the quarterback decision and the contract and all those things. I think that's why people would lean much more toward firing the coach than changing the quarterback. Yeah. And I, I think that you're right about that, that sometimes the, I mean, I think the fans are disenchanted with everybody right now. Yes. But agreed, your, agreed. Your, your point is sound that Mike Zimmer has found a way with new quarterbacks every year to keep those teams just as competitive as the cousins teams, if not more. Um, so who's to say he couldn't do that, you know, with, someone else next year so I respect that point a lot and um you know it would be it would be interesting to have one of them around for the following reason sort of the, the Belichick Brady question right like who was responsible for the Patriots success we now know that answer I think because we've seen what they are with Brady without Brady and maybe it was an unfair question to begin with but that's been answered clearly that Brady was probably more of the catalyst. So if we get to see Zimmer or Cousins removed from the other, then that would put to rest, I think, in a more, more satisfying way, kind of where this team would be at if they unshackled for next year, even if it's only a one-year experiment. Yeah, I think that, I mean, most people probably, like you said, would, I don't know if, I don't know if we took a poll of everyone that uh, they would 
vastly agree on trading Kirk Cousins. Um, but the, the thing that always comes up and is, well, if you trade Cousins, then like who's your quarterback? And I guess my thing would be, well, have you won anything with this? You've since the playoff game in New Orleans, the team is 10 wins in 25 games. So I don't know. I mean, what difference would it make if it was Jared Goff or Josh McCown or whoever the heck else, right? I mean, you probably end up with these same sort of results. Um, but I think that there is a lot of hanging on to that idea that the coach has handcuffed the quarterback. I don't know that that's really the case. I mean, when you think about like, okay, 2018 goes sideways with John D. Filippo trying to offense everything, trying to just remember he was trying to like, I'm going to run this offense combined with this offense and then this offense. And then you got to make this change at the line of scrimmage. There was like too much going on there with, with D. Filippo. So they moved to the perfect offense for Kirk Cousins play actions, downfield throws, Gary and Stefanski cooking up a great running game in those two seasons. And then there's this idea that Zimmer didn't do enough for cousins. And, and as a team, of course they haven't done everything for him. They could have put more uh, money into the offensive line. I think uh, once again, they're one of the lowest, if not the lowest spending team on the offensive line. Of course they could have done that. Um, wide receiver three finally showed up just in time for Irv Smith to get hurt. So you're sort of swapping one for the other and you're still lacking those, those extra weapons. That's still the case. Um, it's just that there's this concept, I think that, or the idea that Mike Zimmer has done nothing for Kirk cousins except for hold him back. And I think he put him after 2018 in the perfect offense for two years and they didn't win then. Uh, and then this year they try to stick with that offense by giving it over to Clint Kubiak and his, I guess, maybe understanding or execution of it is not quite as good. And then you just fall off the face of the earth and you go from like an explosive offense that had talent to now you're a bottom half of the league offense because that one thing sort of drifted backwards. And so I guess, I mean, it's just a long way of saying like, I'm not, I'm not certain that the coaching has been as bad or as high of a percentage to blame as people say, which is not to apologize for everything that Mike Zimmer has done. Yeah. We probably have in our head a little bit, the 2017 Zimmer who was so uptight about Case Keenum. I mean, they would show him on the sideline, getting frustrated at the YOLO throws, the stuff he said in press conferences, um, alluding to Keenum just kind of like having out-of-body experiences and, and doing crazy things, which he did in the playoffs too. I mean, it did kind of come to fruition. And I think we have extended that to Kirk because of the way that his first year went with all of the mistakes and the fault, I mean, ill-timed fumbles, interceptions, and, you know, Kirk did get better at those things. So, you know, if that was a Zimmer um, influence, it was probably a good influence and it it's maybe now gotten to the point where it's detrimental because of how risk averse he is. But yeah, you have to take the good with the bad. I mean, if, if the perfect calibration of Kirk taking chances while also taking care of the ball, if the perfect calibration was in 2019, um, that's a good change, you know, and oddly enough, people also want to get down on the offense about, being, you know, too much big personnel, not enough three wide. I've been, I've certainly said that. I still think that, you know, you don't want to be archaic. But the two seasons where they've spread the offense out the most, being this year and the Filippo year, 
have been seemingly the worst offensive years. And I know we're, we're still in the small sample size range this season, but the, the consistency was probably a tad better in 19 and 20. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I I mean, I think that's the case. And then there's also, let's just, let's not ignore a very important factor, which is the schedule. The schedule has been much more difficult this year than it was in 2019. So sometimes we miss a little forest through the trees and we go like, well, they're not doing this or they're not doing this or that. But then you look at who they've played this year and it's been hard and their history through 2018, 19 and 20 was when they play teams that are good, they don't find a way and they often get slowed down and those teams have answers for them. And there have just been more teams that have answers this year uh, than there have been in the past. So there's like a million different things working here. Let me throw a different scenario at you though. So let's say that they split these next two games. They go out, they surprise LA, and then they come back and lose the um, fully healthy and apologetic Aaron Rodgers. And uh, then they go forward and you laid it out there that, you know, you got a Lions mixed in, 49ers, Bears a couple times, Packers again, Steelers. Nobody spectacular down the stretch. Let's say they go nine and eight and they go into the playoffs and they win a playoff game after going nine and eight. I think that everybody stays at that point. If they were to get hot down the stretch, go nine and eight, then what we would hear is, hey, we fixed all the problems in the middle of the season and we got everybody back on the same page. What leadership and adjustment by Mike Zimmer, (laughs) Uh, Kirk Cousins showed what he can really be in the second half of the season. And all we need is a right guard. I mean, does, does that not sound plausible to you? Uh, it does, because we're prisoners of the moment, for better or for worse. Everyone is. I mean, right now, this this snapshot in time, that's unfathomable. But this is part of the reason that we hear the cliche all the time. Well, let's just add them up at the end of the season, because all the games do count. And, you know, your previous scenario of 7 and 10, well, that's limping to the finish from here. That means you go 4 and 5. Like you don't really improve at all in the second half Um, in the nine and eight scenario, you do go six and three. So in that snapshot in time, you will feel like you're on a roll. Wow. Six out of nine games, not too bad. And then presumably you've beaten either green Bay, LA, Tampa, or Arizona. One of those four teams. That's what, that was your first round win. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might be an even bigger, I mean, anyone they beat in that game is probably a bigger upset than the New Orleans win, honestly, because that Vikings team was better. I mean, if you look at, look at out of the 10 wins that team had, eight of them were by two possessions. Like they were, they were blowing teams out that year. They were scoring a lot of points in some games. That was just a much better team. Um, This team is not that. And I'd be surprised if we ever perceived them as that. So that would be a gigantic upset. So, you know, if you come one game short of double digit wins and win a playoff game, yes, it it feels probably a little like 2019. And that's when people felt pretty good. So, you know, shrug of the shoulders. But like I said, 10 and 7, 100% chance, 100% chance you retain 7 and 10. 25% chance you retain and then incrementally like eight and nine. Okay. 50% nine and eight, 75%. I think in that range is where we're, we're dealing right now. Isn't it funny how long we've been doing this? 
Like just, just with the Mike Zimmer, Kirk Cousins, everybody. I mean, 2019 felt exactly this way though on paper at the end of the year, it's a better season. Um, at the end of the year, there were very serious conversations about moving on from Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins. And we were playing the same game. If they lose to new Orleans, then you uh, fire everybody. And if they beat new Orleans, then you stick with everybody and they beat new Orleans because you won a coin toss and made some spectacular plays, but you know, won a coin toss went down and won that game after blowing a lead, by the way, a late lead in that game. Uh, And then they said, okay, it's uh, we're going to stick with everybody and bring this all back. And we're going to try to, completely revamp the defense while trying to also win at the same time and so forth. And I guess I feel like they should, and, and I felt this way last year as well, like make your decision now and stick with it no matter what happens, unless you win the Super Bowl or go to the NFC championship, which is possible. But uh, we've seen plenty of teams do this where they even win a playoff game and still make a coaching change. The Tennessee Titans did this with Mike Malarkey. And they changed to Mike Vrabel and it's been good for them uh, because they knew they were underachieving. They changed quarterbacks too. They did not stick with uh, Marcus Mariota. They benched him early in that next season. This has happened all the time where you can get a small sample size and you can get convinced by a hot run or something. uh, And then you can change the, the decision-making that was sound when, when you knew it was kind of over, which is where it feels like it is right now. Um, So that's why, and people have asked this before of, well, why would you move on from the coach right now? There's not a coach in waiting who you're trying to get a look at uh, because that's saying no matter what happens after this, we're changing directions. End of story. That's why you do it. So there isn't a, well, they won their last three though. Um, Los Angeles went through this with um, uh, Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn had run his course in Los Angeles and um, he gets a bunch of wins at the end of the season. And then everyone says, well, what are you doing? He won whatever out of his last, whatever, and so forth. And it was ultimately a much better decision to go to Brandon Staley. So if you've made the decision now, no matter what happens, you're just going to make these changes. And I think that's a more, that's a more sound way of looking at it. Or if they, they've decided, which to me would be pretty stunning if they decided that they're not judging everyone. Uh, that, you know, Hey, this has been a tough year and, uh, we're going to stick with this no matter what, but I just don't see that. Like, I don't see that at all. I think you make the decision now you're here's what we're going to do for the long term, And then even if they surprise us down the road, sorry, we already know what they are, but I don't feel like they operate this way. I feel like they operate very much kind of on a week to week type of, well, we just won a game against Carolina. So everybody keeps their job as opposed to you know, who cares if you won the last game, right. Going into the bye week this would be where you'd just make a change. Yeah, you know, I the more I think about it, I've got I've I should I should stand firmly by this because I've teed up the scenario of them dropping to three and seven and then you know firing Zimmer in the same way they did Childress. But the more I think about it, the more unlikely I think that is. I think there's too much history and mutual respect between ownership and coach that I think I think it comes to the offseason. I think it'll be like week after week 18 where a decision gets made either way. And, and that gives Zimmer the chance to fix this in the eyes of ownership. That does, because I, I agree with you. I don't think they are, they might have thoughts. I don't think they're making decisions right now. Um, I think they are willing to let this play out. Like Leslie Frazier, you know, got off to that horrible, horrible 2013 start. And 
no move was made, waited until the season. Um, and he did, you know, have that team playing much better at the end of the season, but the decision still got made. Could be the same with Zimmer. And maybe that's a comparison that, like, if people, if you want Zimmer out today, um, look at 2013, where they did not get influenced by the end of that mm-hmm. year. They didn't say, oh, well, yeah, Christian Ponder's just coming around. We can't <laughs> separate him from his coach now. Yeah. Um, well, they, they did make the move. And, you know, again, in this scenario, it was a good move, a better move for the organization. So I was thinking about not only we focus so much, deservedly so, on the triumvirates of the general manager, the coach, and the quarterback, but I was also thinking about, and I want to do a a longer, deeper dive into this at some point soon, when it feels like things may have gone off the ledge, I want to look at the whole roster and start talking about who's going to be here. Because I was thinking about even just, you know, Cam Bynum plays well the other day. So he shows some flashes, just one game. So, you know, let's not put him in Canton or anything, but you know, a a nice flash that you could play in the NFL from Cam Bynum, but you look around, you go DJ Wanham can't play in this league really at as as a starting level. I think we've seen enough to say that Uh, Sheldon Richardson is a one-year signing. Who's not going to be here after this Pearson Tomlinson are, I don't know about Patrick Peterson, definitely not at the same price. Breland is gone. Alexander might not be coming back. Uh, the offensive line, it's Darisaw, Brian O'Neill, and I don't know who comes next after that. And just how right they are for a change is, is what I mean. Then even when you look at the roster, it's hard to circle all that many guys where you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm taking him with me. Uh, somebody asked me last week in the Friday mailbag, like how many players are there that you would say absolutely have to be here in 2022? And it's not a super long list. And I guess I just feel like they've sort of like before 2020, it was very clear. Oh, the, okay. This is where they're hitting that rebuild button. Cause you have to. And yet it, in a way they never really left that mode. They signed people but they never really left that mode because you didn't feel like, all right, now this is a rock solid team. That's been built over a number of years through draft picks and savvy signings and things like that. It was like, throw it all together. But when you throw it all together, it comes apart quick too. Yeah. And that's probably, you know, why 2015 through 19 was just set up with so much continuity because of that amazing draft. You had cheap homegrown talent at several positions. You haven't had a draft like it since. You may never have a draft like it. Um, but I'd be intrigued to to hear your list of untouchables because on offense, you've got your two tackles. You've got one wide receiver for sure. I don't know how you feel about the second one. I tend to think you keep both um, because I do, I, I do find value in institutional knowledge not, you know, knowledge, like guys that people can rally around, um, guys that fans love. I think there is some value in that. And that's why Mike Zimmer loves his veterans. Like he loves having Harrison Smith come in, Everson Griffin come in, Anthony Barr. That being said, those three defensive names, I'm not sure how many are, are part of the long term. Griffin, of the three, I probably take... Uh, Harrison Smith does have a good PFF grade this year. He might be a little more valuable longer than Griffin. Like Griffin, even though he's playing great, still is not going to have as much tread on those tires. Yep. But defensively, um, there's not nearly the number of untouchables. 
I mean, you got to figure out what to do with Hunter. But I think the list is probably, by the end of the list, single digits. And and I couldn't come up with double digits. I mean, of course, you're not giving yeah. away like guys you just drafted. I mean, that mm-hmm. wouldn't make any sense. Cam Bynum, right. you're not throwing him to the Wolves. It just, whether he actually makes a difference. Like You're not saying, oh my gosh, I have to keep him no matter what. Same with like, can I Wong Wu? Very exciting player, but you know, like you're not saying I could never. Every team has the players like that that are sort of, you know, recently drafted and you don't know yet, but have shown some potential. So players that you're absolutely taking with you, Brian O'Neill, of course, Christian Derrissaw, of course, your two tackles, you would be in very good position there. All the other offensive line, probably not a big part of this going forward. Thielen is an interesting one because the question for me isn't whether I would keep Thielen. Of course I would. I still think he's very, very good. The question to me is whether Thielen wants to still be here. I mean, his agent was tweeting out a couple of weeks ago, some serious frustration. I mean, he came in yesterday and said, we can't keep coming in here and telling you guys that we're good enough when we haven't been. And you can see his frustration mounting as well. And now I know that Stefan Diggs targets are down a bit this year from where they were last year, but he saw that everybody saw that. Like the guy left, went to the AFC championship with a great team, got a bunch of targets. Like, you got to be jealous, right? If you're Adam Thielen, like, why isn't this happening for me? I know I'm getting open and it's year after year for me too. And eventually it wears off that you're from Minnesota. I would, I would assume. And if you're talking about a reset button with new coach, new GM, I'm not hundred percent certain he wants to be here. Uh, so I guess we'll find out. I mean, he's con- he's under contract on defense. It's Kendricks. And I don't even know about Hunter. I mean, I just, the injury thing is super serious and the price tag is probably not changing. I mean, I, I think on his part, he's going to come back and say, well, you know, it was a bad luck injury, but I showed I can be the greatest in the world and you've got to pay me 20 plus million a year. And that becomes very, very tricky then at that point because they were still losing games. It's not like a defensive end just wins all the games by themselves. It, yeah, it ends up being a pretty light list of people who you're going forward with. And that's why I just think, Sam, we've reached such an interesting point in Vikings history, I guess. Like if you're, if you're a fan of the team each week and the game is coming down to it and the Ravens have the football, I don't know. Like the percentage is probably split between the number of people saying, Oh my gosh, get a stop. We need to win. And the people who are going, eh, you know, whatever, make it Justin Tucker change this. Yeah. Well, there's certainly, I think the most common fraction of that fan base, they're expecting the Ravens to win because they have no faith in the team. You know, that that's the depressing part is when you can know the outcome before it happens. You don't have a lot of hope. You don't have a lot of optimism. That's sort of what being a fan is all about. And because there's such a big sample size with this group, with this team, you can start predicting outcomes and that that gets a little boring. You want to be surprised once in a while. Come on, Vikings, win a game that you're supposed to not win. Well, that doesn't happen with this team against better teams. And uh, Sunday's game was a great example. Isn't this the kind of the Kirk thing where, like, the common sentiment of Cousins is, well, if you do this, 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 and this, you've got yourself a chance. I mean, it's never really been shown, but it's really, it's hard to do, though. I mean... So, but if you did that conceptually, theoretically, you could. How close are you to those things, though? 
How close are you to a great offensive line? Not close, in my opinion. I mean, three players away out of five is not close. And we're not even sure Darisaw is good. Like, he looks good, but I don't know, right? I, I mean, are, are you like, okay, Irv Smith comes back. KJ Osborne's pretty good. But you're either talking about Thielen starting to age or get frustrated. Okay. Um, if you hire the wrong offensive genius, who knows where, where that goes. And then on defense, so many things are going to be changing. If you don't have Mike Zimmer as your coach and you hire an offensive genius, is your defense not that good? And it's just the constant game of like, we can't really make all of these things work. And that's why I feel like this formula has become very clear to so many Vikings fans that whether you're talking about the path to the playoffs at seven and 10, eight, nine, or we're talking about 10 and seven and winning a playoff game. I think that either way, there's a lot of, Yeah, your point reminds me of kind of the story I wrote for this morning that the Vikings principles that Mike Zimmer has built around this team just aren't working anymore because so many of them are predicated on having a very good defense. Um, The the run game has not worked very well this year. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Like if you look at run success rate, third worst in the league. Um, shut down like four or five games almost completely. They were, they had three, maybe four good runs against Baltimore. And, you know, an explosive run can be a game changer, but they had long stretches where they were, the power was out in the run game. Play actions not working this year. Teams are taking away the bootlegs. They've been doing that now for a couple of years. Even though the attempts are, are fine, they're trying it, just not working. It's been super inefficient. Um, and, you know, playing clock control football doesn't always work. Like you just need to be adaptable Um, when your defense is going to give up 27 instead of 17, like it used to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to always be that way. Um, And that's sort of the cousins model. That's how to win with cousins, good defensive play score in the mid twenties. Don't turn the ball over. And that's the one thing they are doing. And strangely, that's not working either because they're just so conservative with the football. Sam Ekstrom here, wondering if you're stuck on your company's injury report. In an unfortunate situation like that, it's good to have someone in your corner. That's where Kemet Sanford and Kramer Law can help you understand your rights under Minnesota's workers' compensation laws. There's enough uncertainty in our lives nowadays that the last thing you want is to feel helpless if you wind up in a bad situation after a workplace injury. Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer will fight for you if there's been a wrongfully denied work comp claim so you can get the benefits you deserve. If your claim's been accepted, they help with rehabilitation disputes, medical disputes, help you get a second opinion, and ensure you're getting all the benefits you're entitled to on an accepted claim. Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer will provide you with dedicated and experienced disability attorneys that have secured their clients tens of millions of dollars. Our good friends Mike, Pat, and Evan will handle all that messy legalese to and from the insurance company about your claim while you focus on what's important, your recovery. And there's no cost involved for reaching out to Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer. In fact, you don't pay a dime unless they successfully obtain your benefits. You get paid, then they get paid. It's that simple. The website is yourminnesotaworkcomplawyer.com where you can find a phone number to get a free consultation. This is an attorney advertisement from Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer, your Minnesota work comp lawyer.com. 
Folks, have you ever thought about taking a bike to work but figure it's too far or that the hills are too steep? Or heck, who wants to show up to work covered in sweat? Well, that's why you need to check out the electric cruiser bike from my friends at Boogie Bikes. The Boogie Bike gives you all the experience of saving gas, getting outside, and feeling the wind through your hair. Say if you have a haircut like that Green Bay quarterback. Uh, but you don't have to be an Olympic cyclist in order to get all those benefits. The Boogie Bike has a strong yet quiet motor, sensitive pedal assist, and a very comfortable seat for you to cruise along for miles and miles. Don't settle for a low quality bike. The Boogie Bike is built in Wisconsin using its highest quality parts from around the world. And honestly, it looks cool and goes fast. Go to boogiebikes.com, get yourself an electric bike today and use the promo code SKOL, S-K-O-L, to get $250 off your purchase and a nice basket as well. By the way, there is no risk within the first 15 days. You can try a boogie bike and boogie bikes have an industry leading five-year warranty as well. Again, go to boogiebikes.com. Check them out today. So here's a question for you as we come to kind of our final minutes. And I mean, the sun is out right next to me, but not so much in Vikings land. <laughs> Let's just say the ship has uh, reached some pretty choppy waters after the loss there. So uh, here's a question. When it feels like there's inevitability there and it feels like the most clear range of outcomes includes all the same things, like there's different variations. There's the variation where Spielman stays, the other two goes. There's the, like you said, cousins for another year, but probably not the long-term solution those types of things. But when it feels like the train is directed somewhere and there's really no flip in the track outside of a complete miracle turnaround, which without Daniil Hunter is extremely hard to see. So, okay, we've got that. Tell me what you are interested in focusing on then, because this is something that I know I have trouble with. The big story here for the Vikings is so compelling about the people in charge and the future and where this is going to go that I have trouble like moving the conversation away from it because I just have trouble talking about whether Ezra Cleveland is coming along. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know who cares. So tell, tell me like, before we wrap up, just things you are interested in, in the coming weeks. Okay. I misunderstood your question for a minute. So now I need to re reframe what I'm going to say here. Um, I mean, obvious, like, yeah, I mean, even for me, it's hard because the number one thing that comes to mind is, well, is Cousins going to snap out of it? But that's that's a big right. picture thing. Right. Um, I would like to see if Justin Jefferson gets frustrated because, you know, he's he's part of this this team long term. I mean, if you don't find a way to, you know, keep him through his fourth year, then extend him for another four years. Like if he's not on this team for eight years, maybe nine years, you've messed up. So how are you going to make Justin Jefferson happy? Will the discontentedness start to surface this year? I don't think it really has yet. I don't think it really has at all, except for kind of the outburst last year in the Chicago game. Um, so we're still early in his career. What's going to happen there? Um, like, like you brought up earlier, are any of these pieces going to surprise us? 
Um, because the vi- occasionally you need to get lucky on like a flyer, you know, mm-hmm. you need to find starters from nowhere, which this team did with Anthony Harris, with Eric Wilson. Um, I guess Shamar Stefan could could be in that group, but you know, you need to occasionally get lucky. Is Armin Watts kind of sneaky good? I think he might be sneaky good. Um, Cam Bynum. You know, does he take Xavier Woods' place next year? Yeah, I think that's possible. So I'm looking, I'm looking for future starters or key reserves that might we might not even be aware are actually good yet. Um, and you know, Wyatt Davis, where's he? Oliudo is continually bringing this team down. Like, how is that offensive line going to look by year's end? And what pieces do you have there that you want to continue with? So. Um, I do think there are good personnel talkers that unfortunately we haven't discussed enough of because it's just not as relevant. But if you like the minutia of the Vikings, there's still plenty, I think, to, to keep your eye on. It's just hard to keep take your eye off the ball when you've got the, this regime that's been around forever and this quarterback that it seems like he's been around forever because Vikings fans aren't used to long-term quarterbacks, not since Dante, right? So, um yeah, it's a weird spot to be in. I think if they're four and four, even even if they just pulled out one of the last two games, both that they could have won easily, we're much more talking about how are they going to adjust this and tweak that and change so forth and whatever. It just when you go to three and five, and your playoff chances drop below a one and three chance, and the only chance for the playoffs it looks like is if you have still a very miserable season and yet just sort of backdoor your way because the NFC is a disaster and that they had this lucky seventh playoff seed, which I will disdain today. And then when we watch football for like 11 straight hours on that day, I will be happy about. So I will admit to that. For me, it's there's really one thing, uh, like you you named all the ones of kind of let's see if this guy comes along or whatever, uh, how this guy plays, what it might mean for future contracts. We're always interested in all that stuff. For me, it's entirely like, does this coaching staff try something very different? Or are they saying, well, we're just close and we need to keep doing what we're doing, but adjust this or that or self-scout or whatever. That's what Zimmer basically said yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But at some point though, if you lose the next two and they don't make a change at that point, do you just say we're three and seven play Kellen Mond? I don't know. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I just, or we're three and seven. Let's go shotgun five wide the whole game or let's blitz every play or let's fake punts all the time. It was a little bit of that last week. Like what would it, what would it take to start just onside kicking or what? Like, I don't know. I mean, the, once the trade deadline passed and they didn't do anything crazy there, it's kind of like the, the opportunity for a major change is probably gone. But that's the one thing I think is like in Mike, let, let's put it this way. I am also very interested in this. If they don't, fight themselves back into a playoff spot. Let's say Atlanta gets hot. They just run. They just take that spot and you're done. Um, Like how does Mike Zimmer take it? Like, is it, is it this defiant to the end of, you know, I don't know, like we're misunderstood or is it sort of accepting the fate and I can't do anything anymore. I've seen every different type of this. Uh, when I was covering Buffalo, it was Chan yeah. Gailey sort of, eventually said, there's nothing more I can do. 
It just didn't work. Um, whereas, you know, Doug Marone was like ready to, to swing fists at everybody. So, you know, I just wonder how that plays out if we go down the stretch here and it continues to be a struggle. Well, I was, I was going to ask you to help me recap because let, let's exclude 2014 because that was never supposed to be a winning team. Um, what tone did we hear from Zimmer in his non-playoff years? 2016, and usually he's pretty forthright after the season. That's when we get sort of super honesty from him. Um, sometimes it's, you know, excuse train a little bit. But 2016, I think, pointed toward um, injuries a lot. You know, the train came off the tracks after the bye. The change at offensive coordinator. There was a lot to point to, much of it valid. 2018, um, pointing to, you know, Tony Sperano, he used as a big reason why that team couldn't succeed, couldn't run the ball, because they lost him tragically at such a late date. 2020, pointed almost directly to injuries and sort of like patted himself on the back for saying like, hey, we managed to win seven with a pretty, pretty team, a, a team super low on talent. So if the season ended today, or they limp to an eight and nine finish. What are, and let's say he hasn't been fired yet. He's trying to make his case. What does he say? The close games, I think is probably where, where it goes. Mm -hmm. He would say, look, I mean, we were right there in every game and it were a couple players away or a couple play calls away, wink, wink, or a couple throws away, wink, wink from getting to where we needed to go. We missed the kick. We fumbled. We, you know, had uh, the ball in overtime with a chance to beat the Ravens and we just didn't get it done. But if we replay the season over again, we're an 11 and six team. If we just get better luck and better execution at the very end games, that it's not, this is not um, a team that was horrible. It was a team that just couldn't finish those kind of random high variance type of things. And then the Daniil Hunter injury, it is significant, but it, it will be brought up. I'm sure mm -hmm. while well, we started the season without, bar and then hunter and then peterson was out and then you know i mean it's like every team goes through these things and at the end of the day someone makes the playoffs and overcomes it and somebody doesn't and the teams that don't they you know make changes right so what injury um, will he point to that didn't actually matter but he'll point to it <laughs> uh that's a good one i don't know like uh would it be breland being banged up every game or something oh irv smith i think we i feel like eventually we'll get well, an irv yeah, smith and that might have that might have actually mattered but maybe yeah. like garrett brad garrett bradbury oh sure this, i i see what you're saying game. the cam smith yeah the cam smith yeah but yeah when cam smith got brought up um in a rick spielman press conference we were like cam smith i mean George i guess I could, Loka. Georgia Loka oh yeah that's right that's right cam smith <laughs> could be brought up again by the way he retired he was like there in preseason so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But I think that the week to week as we go along this track and how everyone manages it and how everyone handles the pressure of just having to dig yourself out of a hole uh, and whether there are major changes. I mean, this to me is everything now. And so we'll try. I, I promise I'm making a vow to everybody who listens that I will try to talk about Cam Bynum and how he's playing or about, I don't know, like Cam Dantzler. But I, I can't deny, I can't deny that that just doesn't really matter at this point. So 
Anyway, we'll work on it. Uh, if you're watching us for the first time, Purple Insider Podcast, we do this all the time. It's a daily podcast. And uh, also purpleinsider.substack.com. We're out at Vikings facility every day and then at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium on game day. I am going to Los Angeles where it is expected to be 90 degrees this weekend in Los Angeles. Oh, in and out. In and out get, action. Get my son. That's a, that is the first place we always go. In and out. So... All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks to bring me the news for hosting us here and we will see you next week.